0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ladies and gentlemen, record geeks, retired plate spinners,
1: and millennials who want to impress their parents with their record collections, welcome to the Rhino Cast Podcast brought to you by Rhino Records. Get ready for new releases, deep tracks, and conversations with your favorite artists and bands and Balloons for the Kitties. And now, your hosts with the most, Rich Mahan
2: and Dennis the Menace.
1: On this episode of the Rhino Podcast, we speak again with David Nathan, the British Ambassador of Soul, about Aretha Franklin's Atlantic Records 1960s collection.
2: Only you
0: can heal my soul Rich. Hey, Dennis. Have you visited Rhino.com lately? Yes, I have. Uh, Rich, humor me here, pretend you haven't. Okay. Because you're missing out. Rhino.com is updated daily with music news and regular features like Album of the Day.
1: And this day in music history, plus exclusive merch and music bundles that you can't get anywhere else, like a white snake lithograph signed by David Coverdale himself. Can I get one? I think you've got some connections. Check out rhino.com daily. In today's podcast, we have the second of the trio of Aretha Franklin podcast. It is the year of Aretha. You know that, Rich. It is. It is. And we have back with us again, David Nathan, the British ambassador of soul, who has so much insight and spent so much time with Aretha. He really does know everything there is to know about her. Today we're
0: going to talk about Aretha Franklin Atlantic Records 1960s collection. It is a six LP set that includes all the Essential Sixties albums, plus a long player of studio rarities.
1: Yeah, that's really a nuggets, isn't it? Speaking of Rhino terminology.
0: Indeed. No, it's 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 amazing. And again, we want to get to our conversation with David, which we had at Rhino HQ just a matter of weeks ago, but oh my gosh, you put this on the turntable and it sounds so good.
1: Yeah, vinyl fully back in swing and there aren't many companies out there that make it sound as sweet as Rhino does. Absolutely. Well, are you ready to geek out, Rich, with David Nathan? I think we ought to just get right to the conversation with David right now and not talk anymore at all. Agreed.
0: People get ready. There's a train coming.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Rhino Podcast, our guest once again is the great David Nathan, the ambassador of soul himself.
2: British ambassador
1: of soul. British ambassador of soul, I stand correct. Is there, is there a word you would prefer,
0: because you know, in the British parlance, to great. You really want me to choose yes. a word?
2: yes, of course. The legendary. Legendary is good.
0: <laughs> we are here again. Because it is the year of Aretha Franklin. And the Atlantic 1960s album collection includes her five studio albums with Atlantic. I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You in mono. Aretha arrives in mono. Lady Soul in stereo. Aretha now in stereo. Soul 69 in stereo. As well as a rarities from the 1960s long player with 11 demos and outtakes. First ever vinyl release, the way they were meant to be heard and mastered for vinyl. Mm -hmm. That's a treat. I believe 5,000 copies being pressed worldwide. David, talk to us a little bit about Aretha being signed to Atlantic after her time at Columbia, different producers, and of course, you know, Ahmet and Jerry Wexler and the Atlantic team. Talk to us about the transition.
2: Well, Aretha signed to Columbia in 1960 and actually recorded with them Her last recording at Columbia was in 1965, her last recording session, I should say. And her contract pretty much was up in the beginning part, so I think beginning of 1966. Jerry Wexler was aware of Aretha, as were many other people in the music industry, distinct from the public, and she really was very much under the radar. For the music buying public. And she used to talk about how she had had hits, but they were what they call turntable hits, you know, things that got played on the radio, but they didn't translate into sales. And part of that was also that they didn't quite know how to market her because she was so able to tackle so many different kinds of music. Anyway, Jerry Wexler says that the song, the recording that had him really clear that if there was ever an opportunity to sign Aretha, he would, was actually if ever I would leave you from the musical Camelot, which she recorded at Columbia. And he said when he heard that, then he was clear that he wanted to have Aretha on Atlantic. So what happened was a, a lady called Louise Bishop from Philadelphia, who I think at the time was a DJ, knew Aretha and said Aretha's out of her contract with Columbia, called Jerry Wexler and said, yeah, Aretha's available now. And then they set up a meeting, had some conversations. In November of 1966, there's a billboard photograph of Aretha Franklin, her then manager husband, Ted White, and Jerry Wexler signing her contract. So that's the kind of backstory of how Aretha came to be at Atlantic. I don't know if she was even looking at any other companies at that time. And as we later found out, you know, her Columbia account was quite massively in the red. She hadn't really sold any records. And as we say in music industry parlance, unrecouped. Yes. And it got recouped quite quickly after she signed to Atlantic because, of course, after her first Atlantic recordings came out, then Aretha Franklin went from being someone who was kind of under the radar for many people, by no means a mainstream artist, to being, uh, at that point, probably the most in 1967, certainly the most prolific in terms of recordings, hits, and for the first time, having global hits.
1: What do you attribute the change from Columbia to Atlantic? Because it was almost immediate as soon as they released something from her on Atlantic. All of a sudden you went, like she said, from relative obscurity to... On her way to becoming the queen of soul the superstar yeah. that we know and love yeah
2: well jerry wexler says or has said that what he did was he took her back to church he tapped into her skills yeah. as a pianist accompanying herself which she didn't do much at columbia i think the thing also was that she was really aware that many of her peers or, or people from her age group you know, recording artists were doing much better than she had been in terms of being well-known. She wanted to have hits. I mean, really, that was it. Now, how they approached it was kind of interesting, you know, by sending her initially to Muscle Shows for the first session. It produced the first hit, but that was the last time she recorded she Fame just, famed, yes, it. Fame Studio. Fame Studios, yes. And that was...
1: I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You, Correct. that was the album. Yeah. And
2: do you know what went into the decision to record at Fame and Muscle Shoals? That was Jerry Wexler,
1: 100%. Now,
0: am I right that Spooner Oldham played keyboards on these albums? And, and what was it they liked about him to fly him into New York for all these recording sessions?
2: After that first session at, at, um, in Muscle Shoals, I mean, while it didn't produce a whole album, what was really clear was that the musicians and Aretha gelled. And so to create the continuity of sound in particular, the rest of that album, for the most part, was done uh, by Jerry Wexler having the musicians come to New York to record at Atlantic Studios in New York. At that point, it was 1841 Broadway on the second floor.
0: And that was Tom Dowd as engineer, yeah,
2: right? yeah and so she had the same musicians for the rhythm section from the first recording it just wasn't in alabama it was in new york and 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 a lot of her albums in fact a good number of the first lot of albums on, on atlantic feature the same rhythm section
1: everybody, of course, knows Aretha for her brilliant vocals and her ability Mm -hmm. to really just emote um, vocally. But can you talk a little bit about what made her such a gifted and unique pianist as well?
2: Yeah, I I think it was very much based in her training in gospel. You know, she took that that she learned from James Cleveland was very much a mentor for her in terms of her Keyboard playing. And you know, a lot of great gospel, of course, has piano as its primary instrument. I mean, Mm as we think about Ray Charles, obviously, I want to say the female version of Ray Charles, but you can see there's a a definite comparison. I don't know if this is well known. Aretha didn't read music. Really? That's all innate, intuitive. She just kind of knew what she was doing. Wow. Yeah. And if you listen to those recordings, as any of the musicians on the recordings will tell you, She drove the rhythm section. In other words, they took her lead. That's how those recordings got created. It wasn't like there was some arrangement already there. They literally... They were live in the studio, Aretha at the piano. I don't know that she always... Accompanied herself in terms of doing the vocals at the same time. uh, Sometimes she did, but of course by then it was possible to overdub your voice. So I think some of it's like that, but I think a a lot of it is just her live in the studio, musicians playing. I can't think of any other female vocalist or recording artist in the field of soul R and B at that time who was doing exactly that.
0: Let's do a lightning round on the five albums and let's pick a track or two from each one. Mm-hmm. So let's start with I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You. Mm-hmm. Hit us with a track or two that are, are the ones that if you were putting your needle down on the vinyl, what would you put it down on?
2: That's really, really difficult because, I mean, I will pick a couple, but because I went into a record shop in London to buy the 45 of I Never Loved a Man on import. And they said, we have the LP. I'm like, what? And I took it home, and I remember, this is the same Aretha. Oh, my God, you know, right? this is the same I've been listening to on Columbia. Anyway, that album is just phenomenal to me.
0: What track spoke to you that you said, how can this possibly be the same Aretha?
2: Drowned in My Own Tears. Mm. Why? Why? <laughs> because there was nothing comparable in anything she had ever done up until that point on record. I was, know, it,
0: was it the vocals? Was it the arrangement, just the, the everything. production? Everything. I mean,
2: the way it starts, the background. I mean, her sisters. But it's really—it's so hard for me to say because when I listen to "A Change Is Going to Come," I also am aware that it, it sounds very personal to me. How she was
0: back to y- Sam y- Cooke that we yeah, were talking about yeah, her, yeah. her. we we said this in an earlier podcast, but just in case people haven't listened yet, Sam was her crush. Yeah, you can have a musical you, crush. You too. could, you could.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, I know I have. I'm sure you have. Rich has, Rich a- a- has, a- and if I have, I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's been written that this album alone really could have cemented Aretha's legacy.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was so groundbreaking. I bought that album in 1967, so I remember how it affected me. Mm -hmm. I remember how it impacted the other soul fans in Britain. And then, of course, I was aware of how all of a sudden Aretha is this person that the whole of America. Well, let's just start with the R&B world of America was finding. But
0: but interestingly enough, all four of the other records we're going to talk about have two-word titles. And it's kind of interesting after, like literally the second Atlantic album, to announce
1: Aretha Arrives. I was going to bring that up too. I find that interesting. Why? Why do you think they did that? Yeah.
2: Because she had. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, really, because she had by the time But
0: then you have a lot to prove, because that becomes the sophomore Atlantic record Mm -hmm. And again, being that they were turntable hits before, now this is the big time Mm -hmm. So what track on Aretha Arrives really announced for you that indeed she had?
2: Well, I already considered she had, to be honest with you I don't want to say Aretha Hollick, but an, someone who was an Aretha aficionado <laughs> before most people so knew. So you were a member
0: of AA, no, Aretha but, Anonymous.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have said that. Oh well, too late now. But anyway, because I had already, I was already familiar with her work, and so on. Contextually, I could say, "Yeah, she has now arrived." So because, what track,
0: yeah. what track telegraphed what? that? Do you think to the fans that really took it to the next level?
2: Honestly, there wasn't really one because, I mean, there was one hit on there Baby, I Love You. Of course. Mm-hmm. But there's which not. Which isn't a
0: banger. So that's no. kind of interesting. But it's funky. I love you, girl.
2: In a memorable conversation, many decades later, Aretha said, do you have a favorite one of my albums? I said, I don't really have one, but if I had to choose one, it would be Aretha arrives. And she said, why? I said, honestly, because every song on that record for me was actually the tapestry of a relationship I was in. So every single song on there was about what I was experiencing. It spoke to you. I mean, like, it was almost as if they programmed it to match whatever I was dealing with. And, and you know, I was 19. So I wasn't like I had these 10 years of relationships. <laughs> so I don't have a particular song. But if I had to pick that this is not a hit, but just a song, it would be going down slow because that's a blues, it's a right, straight-up blues, and then the King Curtis solo, and I say this, at the end of that recording, Aretha sings, there's a note where you can tell wherever that came from, it came from the very, very depths of her being. (laughs)
0: And now she's been crowned Lady Soul. Yes. That's a brave move, don't you think?
2: Yeah. Well, what it is is that she had already been crowned the Queen of Soul by a a very famous DJ in Chicago in 1964 in the wake of the passing of Dinah Washington. So Dinah Washington was the Queen of the Blues, and that's how that came about. Now, in regard to Lady Soul, that's a direct reference or as close, I think, as a reference as one could have gotten to Lady Day, as in Billie Holiday. Ah. That's exact. I mean, when I saw Lady Soul, that's I knew. That's the derivation. Yeah, yeah, that's, I'm really clear about that.
0: So when you name a record Lady Soul, back to a track,
2: mm-hmm.
0: what track represented that best on the record? Or
2: well, for me, it would be good to me as I am to you which is a, a, a track that uh, features Eric Clapton, who happened to be around at the time. <laughs> Literally, that guy. Yeah, he happened to be, I mean, it wasn't like pre-planned. He was there. And it wasn't like, oh, let's have Eric Clapton on the track. I think uh, we'd have to find out the exact how that ha- happened, but it definitely it was, was. December 67. Yeah, when yeah and, it, and it wasn't pre-planned. But, I mean, she sings with such abandon. I mean, abandon is the word I would use to describe this is kind of like no filter on it. So it's like she's just singing, she's just performing and singing from a place that most people don't go to.
0: It's Aretha Now. That is signaling, you know, this is the next phase in Aretha. Do you feel that that's what the album became?
2: No. I don't know why they called it Aretha Now, other than to say, because it wasn't different, it wasn't that musically different from its predecessors. I mean, it was a little more, I would say, sophisticated, maybe. It wasn't quite as raw as the first three, but not, like, massively different. So what made it a great record? I say a little prep is the song I always associate with that. Oh man, I will- For me, there are a couple of recordings on there that are really phenomenal. Uh, One is, uh, again, a very personal song for her, I Can't See Myself Leaving You, which sounds like her sharing with people, I know I've got to leave this guy. She's reconciling. Yeah, I don't know how to, but I can't see myself leaving you, but I kind of have to. Hello Sunshine actually started as a recording by a gospel group, Reverend Maceo Woods and the, whoever it was, and it was on, I think it was uh, released through, through Stax Vault, if I remember correctly. It's got a different spirit to it, you know, than the, I can't see myself leaving you, and, and Hello Sunshine are like, they're two sides of love. There you go. Hello. hello.
0: Five Soul 69
2: Well, now, okay That album, in retrospect Hearing comments from Jerry Wexler And I think even Armand Erdogan They regret having Called it that It was a little bit cheeky And they came up with a title based on It came out in 1969, but it also, you know, the whole sexual connotation of it was a kind of like a marketing thing, right? The content of the record had nothing to do with that. Nothing. And in fact, that was really supposed to be Aretha's jazz record. And then later, many, many years later, when CDs first, you know, we first started having CDs, probably I think it did come out. Even as an album at some point, is Aretha's Jazz. And it mixed some of that album with some other tracks. Most of it's big band. And it's, you know, if you listen to it, it's really great. It's a great, great, great recording. Unfortunately, because of the name, of, because they called it that, and because it didn't really have any really massive big hits on it, it didn't quite hit the mark f- with, with a lot of Aretha's fans. Personally, it's definitely. Probably in my top three or four Aretha Franklin albums, wow. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, there's so I mean, her version of Bring it On Home to Me, Sam Cooke again, mm-hmm. very up tempo. Yeah, yeah. But the one that I love is Tracks of My Tears, which course, Smokey Robinson, yes. one of her classmates from Detroit. I mean, they went to school together. Did they? Yep. So it's very much a... But the way she sings Tracks of My Tears, she personalised songs that other people had done. People say- And then she revisited her very first Columbia recording and hit, which was Today I Sing the Blues. But this version in 1969 is very different. What's great about the album is it's one of the most unheralded albums of Aretha's Atlantic career, and it really shows her ability to delve into the world of jazz with such ease.
1: This was the first album I could see where Tom Dowd shared production credits mm-hmm. with Jerry Wexler. Do you yes. know where that was?
2: Probably because Jerry Wexler started being, you know, preoccupied with other things at that time. I think in 1969. I think that's around the time that Atlantic being part of a part bigger of, company, part, part War, of waters, Warner, yeah. Warner Communications. Yeah, so I think he was sense. very preoccupied with that. Also, Jerry Wexler's focus also was started to be more on British rock. They were courting and working with a lot of the British g- groups of the day, too.
1: A little band called Led Zeppelin. Oh, a
2: little tiny band called Led Zeppelin. That's right. <laughs> as I recall reading Jerry Wexler's autobiography, you know, he, had, he, he says he kind of moved more out of that, and Tom Dowd clearly made a massive difference in his work, as did one of the true unsung heroes of Aretha's recordings, from my perspective, Arif Martin. Arif Martin was just brilliant as an arranger, conductor. I can tell you no question, Aretha had great admiration, respect, and she would often talk about the work she did with Arif Martin as being someone she was working with directly musically.
1: This brings us to the final disc in the set, Rarities from the 60s. Mm-hmm.
0: As we talked off microphone, you have quite the story to tell about that disc, do you not, David?
2: I do. As I had developed my reputation as an aretha And they, you know, a soul music historian and so on, and I had the great fortune to have Rhino send me into the vaults in Burbank. Now, to put a little context behind it, what happened is that a lot of the Atlantic tapes had been moved to Burbank, to this massive, massive tape library. And when they were moved, while a lot of them were still, had been catalogued, there were a lot of boxes that just had names on them or numbers, and there was nothing in the database to figure out what was, was actually there. So I was hired to work on that and some other, a couple of other artists and to really f- find as many boxes as I could with the artist's names on it. And Aretha was, of course, at the head of that uh, list. I found some just tapes. No one knew what was in the box. It just said Aretha Franklin. And one of the boxes, in particular, said on the front, Ted White for Jerry Wexler. That's all. It didn't say what was in it. Now, I know who Ted White is. I know he was her manager husband. So they sent the tape, as with all the other things that I had found, to be transferred so we could hear what was actually on the tape. And when I got the disc, the reference disc, it was the demo sessions from 1966 that Ted White... Had sent to Jerry Wexler to give some examples of the kind of things Aretha was interested in doing, the kind of directions she, or just some examples of things that she was considering, or just to give him an idea of like what what did she want to do for her first Atlantic album. In amongst that was the original demo of I Never Loved a Man, written by the Detroit songwriter Ronnie Shannon. And Dr. Feelgood, which is the demo of Dr. Feelgood, is like wow. I don't
0: send me no doctor, (laughs) filling me up with all of those pills. I got me a good man named Dr. Feelgood. last disc on the two sides. There's two demos. The rest are outtakes. Yes. Now, outtakes are dangerous territory, right? Because it either can be a revelation. Sometimes they don't necessarily pick the take. You know, sometimes you go back, I can think of several, several situations recently where I've heard an outtake and said, that's the one they should have gone with. How do you feel about these outtakes as you were
2: discovering them? They're not really outtakes. They're complete recordings that they didn't fit onto albums and outtake for me when people talk about outtakes they usually mean an alternate version of another take of a recording so these were actually unreleased so it was you the letter so soon mr big talk to me the fool on the hill you'll take up and all of those in They're actually songs that just didn't make it to the albums because you have to remember back then there was restriction on how many songs you could put on an album. 30 minutes max. Exactly. So here we go. And, you know, It Was You. It was actually a James Brown song. Really? Yeah. The Letter is an Aretha original. So Soon is a Van McCoy song. (laughs) Mr. Big is an Aretha original also. And Mr. Big is actually kind of is on the same session as the House that Jack built. Talk to me was from the Soul 69 sessions and that is actually a song that had been previously done by one of Aretha's favorite male vocalists of the of the 50s uh, and early 60s little Willie John Cause how
0: I, how I, how I want you to talk to me Talk to me Darling, I love
2: the
0: to me in your in way.
2: You take up another man's place was a song recorded by little Willie John's sister, Mabel John. Now, Taking
0: up another place. Oh, baby, you don't
1: either. Something that I've always wondered about, because I know you're a musician, so you have some experience recording yourself. I do. And you might have some insight on this, but I've noticed when she really lays into a phrase, you can hear the microphone and the preamp go into soft clipping. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This happens on a lot of Aretha's 60s albums when she really lays into a phrase. And you would think that they would be able to anticipate this after hearing it for a while. So it made me wonder if they liked the effect and they kept it on purpose.
2: I think I'm absolutely sure of that. And also because this is Aretha accompanying herself. I don't know that, honestly, don't think there was a lot of rehearsal on some of these things. But I would imagine they just said, "Let's oh, just go with it. Just go with it. Just go with it. With an artist like this, it really was about capturing the moment. You know, unfortunately, there were the original multitracks. For all of those albums, which got burnt in a very infamous fire in 1972. So, unfortunately, we don't have what probably were alternate takes of some of those Atlantic albums, the actual sessions, the actual sessions themselves, which is really, really sad. Fortunately, the actual finished masters were kept in a different facility, otherwise, we'd really be in trouble. David, Nathan, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure speaking with both of you and really, in some ways, uh, setting some records straight. (laughs) Absolutely. So to speak. So to speak. Why
1: don't you let the listeners know where they can find you online?
2: They can find me at www.soulmusic.com. And if they want to listen to and read some of the archival uh, work that I've done, at www.soulmusic.info. Thank you. Thank Thank you you so
0: much.
1: That podcast is was loaded with awesome Aretha Franklin clips. And David knows so much, being the British ambassador of soul, but he had spent so much quality time both on the record and off the record with Aretha. I don't think there's anybody more qualified to give us that insider information than David, Nathan. And as you know, when we took a break, David and I went to lunch,
0: and I want you to know he did not stop talking about Aretha Franklin during the entire lunch. He's busy getting salad, and in between the lettuce, he's like, Aretha! Aretha!
1: aretha loved rudabagas indeed (laughs) thanks very much for tuning in don't forget to listen and subscribe on itunes so you don't miss the next rhino podcast executive producer for rhino entertainment john hughes produced for rhino entertainment by pop cult and rich mahan promotions all rights reserved